look like. But um, I want to begin this morning by, by looking and reading at verse number 11 down through 17, just so you can see uh, kind of where we're going. Um, I've got there for you sort of the, the title, the love and hate relationships. Uh, every relationship is either a loving relationship or it is a hateful relationship. And you would say, well, there's some that are just kind of, you know, right there in the middle. And, well, there might be some truth where you kind of just nod or maybe shake hands with somebody. You're not really, you know, I'm not scalding hot love for them, but I'm, I don't hate them. Well, we we're going to see that there is only but so much middle ground here. And so we want to see that truly we are called as God's people to love God and to love people. That means even the people that we don't want to love, even the people that we don't like, even the people that aren't like us, and even the people that hate us. And so this is going to be a difficult one over the next few weeks, but we will get through it, right? This is hard for me. This is hard for the preacher, all right? This is hard for all of us as believers. That's why John writes this here, because we need it. He needed it then, and we need it now. Uh, but let's read here verse 11. It says, For this is the message that he heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brothers that have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? There's an awful lot already where just reading that passage, you kind of go, ooh, ouch, ooh, okay, got it, John, right? Uh, but we've got to look here today. We're going to look at the foundational message in verse number 11. As we've seen already through 1 John, he's writing in a day and an age where there are countless people who are leaving the faith, but he goes on to say that they leave the faith because they were never truly of the faith. And this is a huge thing right now, and most of us probably don't realize it, but right now in what we would call mainstream evangelicalism or mainstream Christianity. There are countless who would, we would consider to be um, ce uh, celebrity Christians, if you will. Those who have been authors, pastors, musicians, uh, in a band, uh, songwriters, whatever it might be, who are um, deconstructing their faith is, is, the, is the term that is used today. What it really means is that they're looking and realizing that they never really had faith to begin with, or they are deconstructing and going to such a liberal theology that it, it could even be called true biblical Christianity. This is happening, and to be honest, it's not just becoming the norm, but it's becoming popular to do this thing. It's becoming popular to leave what the Bible says is the Christian faith. The real issue is leaving the Bible. Now, the Bible is very important because the Bible is God's Word. It's given to us by God. It is to point us and to reveal uh, us to God so that we would know Him, that we would um, know His Son. It gives us our ultimate and final and, and truly only authority uh, for everything in our life. And so as John is writing, he's writing to these folks who are struggling with people who are leaving the faith, much like we're seeing today. He is dealing with um, how to deal with false teachers and to have how to deal with false assurance of, of salvation. And by the way, it is many of the time false teaching that gives false assurance, 
right? You will believe, if you believe something that is already false or already faulty or, or crooked or not all the way true, then you're setting yourself up for, for a bad road, right? It would be like laying a foundation of your house this way, right? It's not going to go too good. Uh, it, it, or it would be like taking off and just going, well, you know, we got our house here, but we're only going to do this side, this side, and this side, and we're just not going to worry about this part, right? Well, you might be able to build some, but eventually, right, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall down, okay? I, I'm not a construction worker here, but I've played with Lincoln Longs enough to know if you don't do it right, it's, it, the foundation will have everything else crumble. And, and the Bible is our foundation. And John is bringing this out that if you leave this book, if you leave the message that has been heard from the beginning, which is the Word of Christ, who is the Word of God Himself, the the Word revealed, then we see how everything else in our life will fall apart. So now we come to verse 11. He says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, let's look back here in context of the connection here. Because, unfortunately, um, the way the past few weeks have gone, we kind of can miss this. Remember, this letter here is just that, a letter. When you receive a letter, right, think back to when, you know, you used to write love letters to significant other, you know, back when, you know, you had the mushy-gushy feelings, which we still do, right? Got, okay, all right. <laughs> I still do, right? I'm going to write a letter right now. I love you. Um, but you think about this. When you received that letter from that loved one, whether it was wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, even grandma, right? You received a letter. What did you do? Did You, you open it up and you said, I'm going to read this. And what would you do? You would start to read. And then you would get about halfway through and you'd say, I'll, I'll just put it up for later and I don't want to read too much at one time. No, when you got the letter, what would you do? You read the whole thing, all right? So one difficulty of studying the Bible verse by verse is that we often lose that this is one whole letter written to these folks. It is written out uh, for us to receive the whole thing together. So let's look back at verse number number 9. Look back at this connection. It says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he could not sin, because he is born of God. Now, that's the key. Because he is born of God, in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Meaning this, we see the seed of God, and we see the seed of the devil. The seed of faith, the seed of faithlessness. Okay? He says, Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now look at this connection. For this is the message that he heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now we see how all all this connects. If you are born of God, verse 9, then you will do righteousness, verse 10. If you are born of God, living in righteousness, then you will love your brother, verses 9 through 10, which points us to now 11, that you should love one another. Then what he's going to do here in just a little bit is to show the the opposite way to love, the opposite way to love your brother. Uh, And that's going to be the way of, of Cain. Now, uh, let's look at this. First of all, from the, from the beginning. This is the message that you heard from the beginning. Now, this is important to note here. One commentator writes, uh, Stott here, he says, The heretics were boasting about their new teaching. John's appeal here, as in uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, is to the original apostolic gospel, which was also public knowledge in contrast to the private and secret enlightenment, which the false teachers claimed. His readers will be safe if they hold fast to the message 
which they heard and that publicly and openly from the beginning. Now here, the Gnostics of the day, remember, Gnostics are those who have a higher knowledge, a higher light, a higher learning. Now, do they really? No, but they claim to. Now, they claim their authority, they claim their knowledge outside of the Bible. These are the types who would say, and let me, raise your hand if you ever heard this, all right? God told me, anyone ever heard that? All right. You can pretty much mark this down, and if you don't like it, it's okay. We, we, we talk later about it. The moment you hear someone say, God told me to tell this, God probably didn't tell that, all right? Matter of fact, you can put that 99.9999999% of the time is going to be falsehood or false teaching or a false prophet coming right out to, to say so. Now, how can we say God told me? By going here in 1 John chapter number 3, right, verse number, and then we read that. That's how we know God said it. Why? Because it is in the canon of Scripture. Outside of that, we cannot go running around and running a mook even going, God told me, or I feel that God would have me say, it does not matter what you feel, does not matter what you think, does not matter about the tinglys on the back of your neck or uh, what the sunrise looked like and what you think God was telling you at that moment. God speaks through his word. Now, certainly he speaks through uh, creation, revelation, things like that, but ultimately the greatest and, and final and ultimate uh, way of which he speaks is this Bible. Now, the Gnostics of those days were willing to say, well, the Bible is nice. The apostles' teaching was nice. Jesus' teaching was great. But we've got you know, our own thing. And because you don't have what we've got, then you mu there must be something wrong with you. That is still a very common thing today, mind you. Right? We are not so far removed from Gnosticism. Gnosticism works today, though, in, in many different aspects and, and, and areas. It works in the way of going, oh, you don't speak in tongues? Well, you, you must not be saved if you don't speak in tongues. You've never healed anybody before? Well, you, you, you must not be saved. That is Gnosticism. It's emotionalism. It is outside the, the binds and the bounds of Scripture. And so John is bringing them back to remind them, once again, as he has done literally over and over and over again so far in this letter, to go look back at the beginning. What was true then is still true now. Now, do you all believe that the Bible was true when it was written? Yes. All right. The, the rest of you guys, all right, let's try it again. Do you believe the Bible was true when it was written? Yes. All right. Now, let me ask you again. Do you believe the Bible is true now? Yes. All right. Why? Because... It has never changed. It remains the faithful and true word of God. Now, here's the issue. The Gnostics of those days, they loved learning. They loved the idea of having knowledge. But their problem and one of their greatest issues is with all of their learning, they had no love. They had all sorts of knowledge, especially in their own opinion about who God was and how God operated and and all of these different things, even to a fault, even to some many falsehoods and false doctrines that they had to do with. But they had so much learning. Their brains were huge, full stuff, chock full of knowledge, chock full of learning. But their hearts were absolutely empty. They had no real faith in the God that they thought they knew. They had no real faith that led them to, to love their brother. And if you have a real learned knowledge of who God is, which leads to a real salvation, whereas John has just addressed in verses 9 and 10, where you are born of God, where you are the child of God. Then, 
what we see is that if, if you truly are born of God, if you truly are the child of God, then this is going to lead us to real love. God does not call us and save us just so that we would have big brains. He desires much more than you to have a big brain. He desires for you to have a big heart. As the Apostle Paul talks about, he, he deals with this, a whole chapter in, in dealing you know, with the love chapter, right? The, the wedding chapter that gets so huge. You know what he's talking about? He's dealing with the, this issue of you've got all of this knowledge. You've got all of these things that you do, but if you do all of these things, say all of these things, have all of these gifts, but you do all of these gifts, whether it be prophesying or, or tongues or whatever he had in that day, and he says, but if you don't have love, he says it's worth nothing. And I'm afraid that today that many of us, we would read First John and we would go, well, I'm sure I love my brothers. I'm sure I love my church. I just don't like so-and-so, right? Well, I, you know, I love everybody in my church or love everybody in my family. And then we've got in small parentheses, tiny letters, asterisk, except those who X, Y, and Z, right? And this is not what we're called to do. We are called to love one another. You know who one another is? One another. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Here dealing with this, this message is simple because it truly is from the beginning. Uh, look as, as uh, Cruz writes, The message they heard included the command of the Lord Jesus that those who believe in him should love one another. This is the first of six references in the letters of John to Jesus' command that his disciples should love one another. The others are found in 1 John 3.23, chapter 4, 7, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, and then in 2 John chapter 5, they are probably dependent on the account of the Last Supper discourse found in the fourth gospel, John chapter 13 through 15. <clears throat> now, in John 13 through 15, they're at the Last Supper, and Jesus is literally preaching sort of his final message to his disciples. He has, um, he has shared a meal with them. He has washed their feet. He is teaching them. They're about to go pray in the garden. They're about to fall asleep. He's about to go pray and to prepare to, to suffer and to bear the weight of the wrath of God for their sins and for your sins and, and my sins. And that night, though, he spends a great deal of time preaching and teaching to them about what is about to happen and what they need most. He preaches in length about the Holy Spirit. He preaches in length about the, the coming of the Spirit and how the Spirit will work and operate in their lives as well as the lives of every other believer that is to come. He also preaches and, and teaches them about what it means to love and as well as to love even when they are hated. Now, let me ask you this. Were the disciples loved by many people? Sure, by many, many in the church. They prayed, they uh, loved them, they gave them, but were they also hated? Yes, by the whole world. Do you know that John here who's writing this, he's the only disciple who would not actually die for the cause of Christ? He would be the only one that would not be a martyr. Did he suffer? Absolutely. Matter of fact, he was uh, faced jailing, he faced uh, beating and much persecution, even to the point where he should have died, but the Lord allowed him to live, to write these letters, ultimately to see the, the revelation of, of Christ, and to write and to be this testimony and this father spiritually to many uh, for several generations. But every other disciple died. They were hated. And yet they loved their Lord and they loved people enough to be willing to go and to share the gospel 
even though it would cost them their lives, there would be some who would be crucified. Uh, Peter, it is said to have been crucified upside down. Others who lost their heads were beheaded. Some who were killed with spears. Uh, I mean, many. And not to mention the countless other disciples of Christ um, who uh, throughout the ages have, have faced death while loving God and loving the people that they were being persecuted by. And here, Jesus spent so much time in the Gospel of John preaching and teaching. And this is important to, to John here as well. He, he goes back here, and I want to give you a couple of verses. John chapter 13, verse 34, tells us this. A new com- this is Jesus speaking, by the way. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Now, what's the way that Jesus loved one another? What's the way that Jesus loved his disciples? Well, he taught them. He loved them. He walked with them, fed them. He uh, took care of them. He as well had, being the master, washed their feet. Now, in that day, you and I, we don't do foot washing, right? And, and, but in that day, they washed their feet. Every time you walked into a house, you'd be normally greeted with a bowl and a washcloth to be able to wash your hands, maybe your face, definitely your feet, because everyone's walking around dirt, gravel, sand, muck, and mud, all in sandals, right? And so this is what they do. They, they serve one another. And normally, if there was someone who's wealthy enough, their servant or their slave would do the washing, but never the master. The, the master doesn't do the washing. But Jesus, being rabbi or teacher or master, as he is called, literally girds himself up and washes their feet. He serves them, even though every single one of them is going to run away that night. Even though uh, Peter, right, the, the, the mouthpiece, if you will, is going to absolutely deny him and even curse and swear in denying him. Now, I don't know who that guy is. Yet he still stoops down and he still washes their feet because that's what love looks like. Now, it does not mean that you got to go, hey, sister, I, uh, mind if I come by your house and wash your feet? That's not what that means here. What this means, though, is that we do serve humbly one another, not for our good, not for our gain, not for our notoriety, not for our own sort of testimony, but we serve to simply serve. We serve because Christ served, and he is and was the suffering servant for his people and towards his people. The way in which he loved them is that even more so than just serving them there that night, the following day he would be handed over, would go back and forth, would be beaten and ridiculed and mocked and and have his beard ripped out, would be bloodied all the way to the cross and would bear the weight of their sins to die for their sins, to offer them eternal life. That is sacrifice. That is what love looks like. He did so not just for those disciples there on that day, but for even the same ones who were driving the nails. Even the same one who who beat and abused Him. Even the same one who who cried out, crucify Him, crucify Him. Because that's what love looks like. You and I can talk about, I love you, or I love so-and-so, or I love this. But we don't quite understand love until we look at the Lord. It is the same Bible here before us that tells us that God is love and God is light, as we've seen already here in 1 John. 
He is love and He is light, and Christ was truly love and light incarnate. And He showed what it meant to love. He showed what it meant to be light. And Second John chapter, oh, excuse me, Second John verses five and six tell us this. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you've heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. What's the command? It's to love God and to love one another. And so now, as John brings it back to this place here, that in verse number 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning. And then here's the message after that comma there. That we should love one another. The Christian should be absolutely characterized by love. A love for God and a love for one another. A love for people. A true, genuine love. And by the way, you can fake it, but you won't make it. All right? You can fake love, but you can do the emotions. You can go to church and you can maybe send a card every now and again to somebody. You can even say the words, hey, love you, without even meaning it, can't you? Love, though, will bring true action because you won't have real love unless there's been a real action of love in your heart where Christ has saved you, the Spirit has sealed you and empowered you and given you a new desire to love because before Christ, we have no love in us. We have no love for God in us. We have no love for people in us. All that we do have for love is a love for self. It is a love for pleasure. It is a love for our own lust. It is a love for our own things of this world. And so when we are saved by the love of God, we are then given the love of God to then share the love of God. Now, the message is love. Now, this does not mean here some sort of squishy, watered-down gospel. This does not mean because God is love, everyone goes to heaven, because that's not the Bible. And that's not the true message of love. Right? It, what is thought of today, and there are, there are those who are... Um, there's one way to put it, is idiots. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Idiots. Uh, who write books like Love Wins by Rob Bell. All right, that's the one I was looking for. All right. I can say it. It's okay. All right. He writes in his book saying that love wins, and because God has love, well, everybody will get to heaven, even if they go a different direction or don't believe you know, all that the Bible is, or that they're sincere in their faith. They all lead to the God who is love. Baloney. Hogwash. That's an antichrist mentality. It's an antichrist gospel. It's a false gospel. It's the same one that John looked at and said, you're out of us because you're not from us. You don't actually know the God you say you know and speak for. It's sad. But there are countless folks who will soak up the message of love but never actually know what that love looks like. The love of God is so wonderful and marvelous and indescribable even because uh, truly even this morning trying to discover or trying to describe the, the love of God, it, it's truly impossible to a degree unless we look at the cross. But the cross screams the love of God not because we were lovable, not because there was anything good in us, but because He is love Himself. 
Because He is good and righteous and holy and just. Love is found there. True, absolute, pure, perfect, holy, loving, sacrificial love. That's what it looks like. But the message that here is given is that of love. Because ultimately the Gospel is that of love. It is that God loved those who hated Him. That's, that's the Gospel. That Christ died, lovingly died, for those who willingly hated Him. That Christ would lay down His life and lovingly do so, bearing the, the weight of sin and the wrath of God the Father. And He would do so for people that despised and rejected Him. So the Gospel is a loving message. But the gospel is loving, but people look at it and say, well, it's not so loving because it just excludes so many people. The only people that the gospel excludes are those who will not bow the knee to Christ. That The gospel is inclusive to all those who will receive this love, can happily receive this love, and can know the love, joy, and peace uh, that is knowing the love of God and being born of God and being a child of God and not and no longer the child of the devil. The Gospel, number one, shows us God's love for us. When you hear the Gospel, the Gospel message is literally the Word itself. It is good news. It is good news to those who are sinful and wretched and wicked and vile and unloving and unlovable to know that the God of the universe looks down in all of our filth and disgusting sin and still says, I love you. But the love of God loves us and demonstrates His love toward us And that while we were yet sinners and all that filth and, and disgusting unrighteousness, that He would die for us. Not just for us, but literally for us so that we don't have to. He sacrifices His only Son so that we don't have to die the death that we deserve. He doesn't deserve it. We deserve it. But He takes the death so that we can take life. Not by our works or by our goodness or by our love for God because we have nothing. We have none. But it is because of His love toward us. The Gospel message shows us God's love for us. Second, <coughs> the Gospel frees us from sin and Satan in order to be able to love God. Now this is important. Because there are many who have been in church their whole life and they say, well, you know, I I've always loved God. No, you haven't. You haven't. You would like to think that you've always loved God, but the truth is, unless you've been born again, you don't know or have a love for God. Because you have not bowed your knee and been changed by that love of God to be born again. Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, you will not know the love of Christ. Unless you are born again. That's the key. And there are many who would say, well, you know, I've always had a, had a love for God. The truth is, in our sin, the only thing that you have ever loved is yourself and you have made your own self a God. You have worshipped yourself. You have worshipped your flesh. You've worshipped the, the system and the things of this world. You've even worshipped your father, the devil, because that's who your father is. How do I know? He's already talked about this. In verse number 10, he just said, the children of the devil. You know who that is? Everyone outside of Christ. Period. Plain and simple. 
It is a difficult message, but it is a message of the, the gospel is a message of love because it takes children who are of the devil and he adopts them into his family with all rights and privileges of being fully and completely his, never to go back again, never to be sent away. He's never going to go, you know what? I just don't like that kid I adopted. I'm just going to give him back. The adoption papers are signed and sealed by the blood of Christ, and there is no giving us back. There is no us even going, you know, I don't really like it here. I'm gone. If you are truly born again, you are truly born again. But the gospel frees us. This love of God frees us from sin. We had already dealt with this in the passage before, um, dealing with um, how we are delivered from sin. That we are delivered from the devil, from, from Satan, from his grasp and hold on us. We were bound to sin. We were bound to Satan and his, his ways and his thoughts and his lies and his deception. And now we've been uh, freed from that. And now we belong to Christ, who is not just a, a better master, but he is the good shepherd and bishop of our souls. He is the one who is the friend to sinners. He is the one who lovingly gave himself for us. He is our God who has adopted us as his children. The gospel frees us from sin and Satan. And it frees us not just from sin's grasp and, and Satan's grasp, but frees us from their grasp so that way now we can love God. Because beforehand there is no loving God. And, and outside of Christ, we don't, are not able to truly experience how loving God truly is. Now, there are those who experience the love of God outside of Christ to the degree that they are still left alive and are able to even breathe right now. That is the love and grace of God. To those of us who have been born again, to try to describe and to tell people how good the love of God is, we can't get all the words out. Why? Because it truly is amazing. An amazing love that has been given and demonstrated to us. Third, the gospel empowers us to then show that same love of God to others. There are many who are lost without Christ, who are not truly born again, who say they love the brethren or say they love one another, but everything that they do is done out of a heart to see what they can get back out of it. It is done with a heart that is, uh, do, does all kinds of things. They'll be very active, even very active in a church, but every activity that they've got is just a whirlwind of self-motivation and a whirlwind of just trying to... to to gratify themselves. It is not done out of a genuine love for God or a genuine love for God's people. You see, it's the gospel that empowers us to truly show that love. But what does it mean to love your brother? And John here, what he's about to do in the next few verses, which we're not going to get into today, is to answer what it means to love our brother negatively and then positively as he's been doing throughout this whole book so far. There's been many times where he says, don't do this, or if you are doing this, then you're not right with God. But if you do this, then you are right with God. That sort of thing. So today we end it this way. Today, we are called, whatever today's date is on this Sunday morning, in 2021, we are called to still <clears throat> love one another. So, 
What about the one who has gossiped about you, slandered you? What about the one who did all that he could to destroy even the ministry of a church or the unity of a church? What about the one who would desire to kill us because we love Christ? What about the one who hates all that we are and all that we do, who is always against us? Do we love them too? How about do we love the, the brother or sister in Christ who is saved but maybe had a bad day and wronged us? Or do we maybe have our love a little colder now for them? We're just, I still love them, but I'm watching. <laughs> right? You see, we love many a Christian that way, don't we? We love many a person in the pew who loves the Lord but had a bad day or wronged us one time, and we go, well, fool me once, okay, all right, not a big deal. Give you twice, twice, done. You can still sit with me on that side of the pew. We can still shake hands or greet one another. I can still love you in the Lord, but I'm not going to really love you until I get to heaven. I want you to know we're not called just to hold on and love each other in heaven. We're called to love each other now. I'm thankful for heaven that one day in heaven, everyone that ever has wronged us, we will truly love perfectly. And they'll love us back. <laughs> they won't have no say about it anymore. right? But neither will we. And my prayer is that you and I would be known as John wants us to be known. And even as John, the beloved, is known. As a disciple of Christ who not only loves God, but loves God's people despite how God's people often are. Many people say today, I'd go to church if it wasn't for all the church people. Me too. <laughs> we're the worst. We're hypocrites. We're Pharisees. We're liars. We're gossips. We're proud. We're boasters. We're covetous. Should we keep going? But yet God loves us. And we are called to love one another who do the same thing that we do. And if you and I can find the place in our heart where we love God the same way that He loved us, all these things that we've got going on will work themselves out. So may we love God and truly love God so that we may truly love one another. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this day. We thank you for the truths found in your word, Lord, though difficult they may be to practice. God, I pray that our hearts, even now, if we have someone or something that is keeping us from truly loving you or loving someone else in this church or in our families or, or anyone in the household of faith, God, that we would have our hearts convicted and changed and that we would see to make it right today. First, before you, that we would confess it to you, to know that you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us but as well to confess it to our brother and to make it right with them. God, I pray that you would help us to do the, the hard things, to do the difficult things. Lord, the hard and the difficult is to love. But God, you loved us. So help us to love one another. Help us today now to have our hearts prepared for this worship service. And Lord, that today in all things that we say and do and sing and speak, today would bring you glory and honor. We love you and we thank you for this time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, we'll take a pause for the calls, and any guys that want to come pray, y'all come on over.